And here's where we are in the book of Exodus. Uh, God has told Moses, uh, I want you to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And I want you to tell him to let my people go. I want you to tell the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to, to let my people go, not to enslave them any longer. And so he goes, and he tells the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, no, I, I do not recognize the authority of this God. Who, who is this God of yours that I would submit to his authority? And so God sent nine plagues corresponding to different gods in Egypt. This was a uh, display of the God of Israel's supremacy over all other gods, lowercase g. And after all nine, Pharaoh would still not relent. And so there was a tenth. There was a tenth. It's called the Passover. We introduced this last week. The Passover was the means by which God would deliver his people out of Egypt. And so last week where it served as a bit of an introduction to where we're going, uh, this week we're going to focus in on the Passover, and then next week we'll look at the Exodus, the actual deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. And so here are the events of the Passover. They go like this, that Israel was to get a lamb. They were to sacrifice the lamb. They were to take the blood of the lamb, put it on the door frames of their homes. They were to eat the lamb, and then God would pass over their homes and not strike dead the firstborn child in Israel. Now, of the uh, Passover, its centrality in the Bible, its centrality in being able to understand the Bible, its centrality in being able to understand Christianity simply cannot be overstated. So one pastor theologian put it like this, he said, for faiths that accept the biblical vision of ultimate spiritual, spiritual reality, the Passover sits at the center of it. The Bible is this story of God's redemption from beginning to end, and at the center of that story is the Passover. But to, to be honest with you, until prepping for this sermon, there was, a, there was something about the Passover that I think I've always missed, or at least I've given not nearly enough credence to it. And so, uh, the, uh, because I've always thought of the Passover really as just about God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt which is certainly part of it and certainly at the heart of it, but there is more to it. And I'm hoping that together we can draw out this piece of it. I want to draw it out uh, by asking this question. If Passover is a central theme to the Bible, what then does it mean to be a Passover people with a Passover presence in the Heights? I'm asking it again. What does it mean if the Passover is the central theme in the Scriptures? What does it mean to be a Passover people with a Passover presence in the heights? To answer that, we need to understand a bit about the Passover. And so we're going to look at our text under three headings, the Passover, the Passover lamb, and the Passover meal. Passover, Passover lamb, Passover meal. Let's start in verse 12 with the Passover. It says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you. That's the blood on the doorpost. Shall be a sign for you. On the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. 
So here it is. He's saying, listen, I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt, and when I see the blood on your doorpost, I am not going to strike down the firstborn, both man and beast, but I will be executing judgment on the gods of Egypt. Again, lowercase g. When I strike down the firstborn among the Egyptians, houses that don't have blood on the doorpost, I am going to be executing judgments on the gods of Egypt. And a few weeks ago, we said that the book of Exodus was this collision of the gods, that it's the question of whose God is the supreme authority, what God is the God above all other gods and kings in the world, that this is the central theological question of the book of Exodus. And it's why one commentator said this. He said that this collision of the deities is about to reach its climax. This collision of the deities is about to reach its climax in Exodus. That in each of the nine plagues, God was showing his supremacy over the other gods of Egypt. And now there's about to be a definitive once and for all statement about whose God is the true God. Now, I want to pause and I do want to acknowledge something. That the, the, the Passover event and that God coming and striking down the firstborn of the Egyptians, this does raise some difficult questions, questions about the justice and the nature of God. We spent a decent amount of time on this last week, or Raph did, who I just thought killed it, which is a positive statement. Uh, so I'm not going to spend much time on it this week, but I, I, I want to say this, that the God of grace and the God of judgment are the same God. The God of grace, the God of judgment are the same God, both of which grace and judgment would climax in the crucifixion of a Jewish carpenter, God's firstborn son. But that is for later in the sermon, and we are not there yet. For here, we're on the 10th plague, where God is flexing his might over all the gods of Egypt, where this contest of the deities is going to reach its climax. And let me tell you why this is so important that you see this is the climax of God displaying his might and his authority and his power over all other gods. You see in verse 13, um, where it says, the blood shall be a sign for you. That's the blood on the doorpost. It's a sign for you. Let me, let, me, let me tell you why that matters. Let's talk about signs. Signs in the Bible are physical symbols of a spiritual reality. It's a physical symbol that points to a spiritual reality. And here's the point. The blood on the doorpost does not cause them to belong to God. The blood on the doorpost is a sign that they already do. The sign, and this word sign, it's linked in the Scriptures to God's covenant faithfulness, His faithfulness to His people. This early in the story, it's already been used multiple times. So in the Noah account, the rainbow is what? It's a sign of the covenant that I have made, that I won't flood the earth again. In Genesis 17, God is speaking to Abraham, and He says, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you, the sign that I will be your God and you will be my people. So the blood on the doorpost, it was a sign, a sign that you belong to God, that I belong to you and you belong to me, that I will be faithful to my people. And in the Passover story, here's what that means, that the blood on the door was a sign that you have the lamb's protection. Let me back up. I said that wrong that the lamb's blood was a sign that you have my protection. That the lamb's death is a sign to you for your protection. 
that because the blood of the Lamb, the death of the Lamb, that is a sign to you that you have my protection. But there's something else that I want us to see, and it's where we start to see what I hadn't seen before. Look at verse 21. It says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said it to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. Hyssop, that's from a plant. It's a plant. And dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Kind of a gruesome little scene there. Blood pouring out into the basin. Now dip the plant into the basin. And touch the lintel of the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of that door of his house until the morning. So here's the, here's the question that as I read through this that just really kind of leapt off the page at me. If the blood of the lamb is a sign that you have God's protection, why the hyssop? Why? If you already have the sign that you have the protection of God, why the hyssop being dipped in the blood and then put on the doorpost? It seems like an unnecessary ingredient here, and it could be, unless there's more going on than just deliverance. And so what's the point of the hyssop? Here's the point. Hyssop in the Old Testament was used for purification. One of the more uh, known examples of this, Psalm 51, 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. See, hyssop was used in the Old Testament to make things that were unclean, clean, which is to say things that were unacceptable to God to make them acceptable to God. So here's the point. The Passover is not just about getting Israel out of Egypt. The Passover is also about God forming Israel into the people He wants them to be. Passover is also about God making Israel into the holy nation that they were meant to be. It's about God forming Israel. It's about God creating a counter-community that God doesn't just deliver Israel from, Israel, from Egypt so that they can go and be free from them, but so they can go and become the people that He's meant they're meant to be. That he was forming Israel, not just delivering Israel, or in their deliverance, he was forming them. So the Passover is certainly about God delivering Israel out of Egypt, but it was also about God forming Israel into the holy nation that they were meant to be, this counter-nation among the nations. And so let's talk about the Passover lamb, specifically how they were to eat the lamb. Look at verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and it should keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So they were to go out, they were to get the lamb, they were to kill it, to sacrifice it. Nothing unclean, nothing, no blemish, nothing that would make this lamb unacceptable in the presence of God. And they were to kill it at twilight. And now they were to eat it. And how are they to eat it? Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water. So nothing raw. But roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, 
your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Okay, Israel, here, here's how I want you to do it. I've got some specific instructions for you on how you're to eat this lamb, your Passover lamb. I don't want any of it raw, no, nothing raw. I don't want any raw or boiled animal. I want you to, to eat it fully cooked, fully cooked, nothing raw. I want it roasted on fire. What in the world does that have to do with anything? It's a great question, and I'm glad that you asked. Here's the point. This was happening in March, roughly in the spring. You know what happened in the spring in the ancient Near East? In the ancient Near East, spring idol worship included eating raw or half-cooked sacrifice. Here's the point. He was saying to Israel, I don't want you to eat this Passover lamb in a way that resembles the idol worship happening all around you. I want you to eat this Passover lamb in such a way that you draw a clear distinction between what you are doing and the idol worship that happens all around you. I don't want you to even resemble what is going on in the spring around you. And here it is again. The Passover is not just about delivering Israel. It's about Israel worshiping the one true God as the one true God. That even in the way that they were to eat the Passover lamb, God was saying, I'm setting you apart as my people, a distinct community. You are to have nothing to do with idol worship. He was saying, I don't want you to for one second assimilate into Egypt. In the way that you are to eat, you are to be a distinct community. In the details of the Passover, God is calling his people to not assimilate with Egypt, which it's likely that Israel had begun to worship Egyptian gods, possibly even participating in this kind of idol worship. If they hadn't, they certainly would in the future, which is why I think uh, of the Ten Commandments, the first one, that you shall have no other gods before me, uh, which we'll get to in a a few weeks, uh, certainly is a timeless, obviously timeless theological true statement. I think Martin Luther was right when he said, hey, you break uh, commandments two through ten because you've broken commandment one and you've had another god before him. But it was also, I think, possibly likely a contextual statement, what Israel needed to hear because they had begun doing it. At the heart of Passover is God saying, um, eat this meal in such a way that you show your distinction from the idol worship all around you. In other words, eat this meal in such a way that you show your allegiance to me. You see, the blood on the door, the blood of the lamb on the door, it's going to be a sign for you, a sign of my allegiance to you, Israel. Now, Israel, I want you to eat the lamb in a way that it shows your allegiance to me. The blood on the door, it's going to be a sign of my allegiance to you, Israel, but now I want you to eat the lamb in such a way that you show your allegiance to me, which takes us to the Passover meal. Look at verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your, for your sons forever. And when you come to the land for the Lord, uh, when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service, that is to keep the Passover meal. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. 
as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. See, the Passover was not a one-time event. The Passover would become a perpetual meal, and it was a meal of remembrance, where they would remember God's deliverance and His faithfulness to His people. It was a celebration. It was a feast. It was a party. It was a good time. But it was also a meal of consecration. They bowed their heads and worshiped. That every time that they participated in the Passover ritual, the people consecrated themselves as a nation holy to God. That this was a meal where they consecrated themselves over and over to God. They consecrated themselves as a nation holy unto God. And this meal, this meal was to go on forever. It was to go on forever, which begs a legitimate question from us. If this meal was to be observed forever, then are we disobeying by not eating the Passover meal? Exodus 12 said this meal is a meal that's to be a statute forever, so then are we disobeying by not eating the Passover meal? It's an interesting question, and I think the answer to it could start back in verse 11. So back in verse 11, in the middle of the instructions on how you were to eat the Passover lamb, it finished with this line, it is the Lord's Passover. Speaking in reference to the lamb, it said the lamb, but it is the Lord's Passover. And here's why that matters, because for thousand plus years, generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, they kept this meal, they kept observing the Passover until one day a man named John the Baptist was standing in a crowd. And he said to the crowd, hey, hey, look, hey, everyone, look, look at me. Look at that man over there. Behold, do you see that man right there? Behold the Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it was this same man that he was pointing to that when Paul authored much of the New Testament, writing 1 Corinthians 5, was describing him, he said, for Christ our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. And that's why 1 Peter describes Jesus as like a lamb, spotless and without blemish, a reference back to Exodus 12. You see, the Passover, it was always a foreshadow. The Passover was always a foreshadow to the true lamb that was to come, that it was always a foreshadow to the day when Jesus would come and he would take away the sins of the world, which means he didn't come just to die for one nation or one people group or one ethnicity. He came to give his life as a ransom for the nations, all of them, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Every single one of them. And it's in the sacrifice of that lamb where grace and judgment meet. The lamb, the firstborn son, who on the cross would die under the weight of the father's judgment so that you and I wouldn't. Do you see, sojourn, why Passover sits at the heart of the Bible? Do you see why it's so central? Because it was the story of the lamb, not the lamb that was, but the lamb that was to come. Passover sits at the heart of the Bible because it is the story of the lamb who was to come, who would die in your place and in mine. But that has nothing to do with the meal. I haven't addressed the meal yet. Let's talk about the meal. Because you see, just before Jesus was going to go to the cross, he had one last Passover meal with his disciples, but this meal would have two unexpected turns. Unexpected turn one was this, that when Jesus started to speak, here's what the disciples expected to hear him say. They expected him to hear him say, this 
This is the bread of our affliction. Our ancestors suffered in the wilderness so we could be free. Instead, what did he say? This is my body. You see, the disciples expected a reference back to Exodus. Instead, Jesus said, this is the bread of my affliction. I am going to suffer so that you can go free. Unexpected turn two was this. There are three things that you have at a Passover meal, bread, wine, and a lamb. At this meal, there was bread, there was, a, there was wine, but there was no lamb because the lamb was already at the table. At this meal, the lamb was the host of the meal. The sacrifice was the host. You see, here's what happened to the meal. Jesus fulfilled it, and then he gave us a new one. Jesus fulfilled the Passover meal, and then he gave us a new one. And at this meal, the bread is my body, the wine is my blood. But here's, here's the thing. At this meal, the lamb's blood is still a sign of your protection. At this meal, at this table, at my table, Jesus' blood is still a sign that you have God's protection. And let me tell you why that matters, why we over and over and over urge you and plead with you and beg you to prioritize the table. Because one day, one day, one of us in this room, and it might be me, we're going to get the phone call. We're going to get the phone call that says, hey, I need you to come in. We need to go over your results. And you're going to go in, and you're going to sit there in that doctor's office, and they're going to walk you through your diagnosis, and you're going to have three months to live, best case scenario. And when you get that diagnosis, you're going to come home, we're going to come to your living room, and we're going to sit in that living room with you, and we're going to cry, and we're going to pray, and we're going to beg, and we're going to plead with God to heal, and then we are going to come into this room on the next Sunday, and you're going to walk out of that aisle after we finish the sermon, and you're going to come to that table, and at that table, you know what you need it to hear? You need to hear Jesus saying to you, there is nothing, nothing about that cancer you have right now that will change a thing about your life 10,000 years from now because you have the blood of the Lamb protecting you. You are going to need it to hear that you have the Lamb's protection. You have the Lamb's protection. You are going to need to know that you can come to the table and know that Jesus is saying, my blood still covers you, and no matter what life has to offer you, it won't change a thing about your life 10,000 years from now. You have the blood of the Lamb protecting you. You were going to need to hear that, and it might be me first. At that table, Jesus will be reminding you, reminding me that cancer today won't change a thing about our life 10,000 years from now. The Passover meal was always about Jesus, the Passover who was to come. And so Jesus being our true Passover lamb, being our Passover brings us back to our original question. What does it mean then to be a Passover people with a Passover presence in the heights? There are probably a thousand ways that we could apply this. I'm going to give us two. It means that we strive to be the kind of people that Passover creates, and we offer what Passover offers. We strive to be the kind of people that Passover creates, which means that we strive to be a holy and distinct people, a people who prioritize holiness, that we are okay being weird, we are okay being thought of as strange at work. That means that we're okay being passed over because we're not going to work 120 hours a week. Did you know that the two passages I referenced earlier in the New Testament, 
Um, First Corinthians, First Peter, where Jesus is explicitly described in Exodus 12 language, either Passover lamb or Passover who is spotless without blemish. Do you know the context of both of those passages is the holiness of the church? First Corinthians 5, all kinds of crazy stuff happening in the church, and in the middle of addressing all the crazy stuff that is happening in that church, Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Now, put malice and evil out of your heart. Put on sincerity and truth. And First Peter 1, that passage, it starts with this, be holy as I am holy. The context of both passages where Jesus is described in explicit um, He's called the Lamb often, but those two passages in the epistles where he's described in Exodus 12 kind of language, both the context, the holiness of the church. So how do we live as a holy and distinct community? Well, we don't give ourselves to other gods. We don't offer ourselves up to idols. We don't worship money, sex, power. We worship Jesus as the resurrected reigning king who died as our sacrificial lamb in our place. So the question becomes, how do we guard our hearts then from idols? What do we do to guard our hearts from idols? idols. And in light of Passover as a memorial, in light of a sermon on Passover, I'd be remiss not to say it like this. We cultivate remembrance in our life. We become a people. We cultivate ourselves as a people who remember. And what is the best way to remember? Here it is. We prioritize the meal where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me prioritize the meal where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. That's how we cultivate remembrance in us. Can I, can I say something to our sojourn family? Not that I haven't been already. I, I want to say something to our sojourn family, and I want to say this. Um, we, we have a podcast so that when you're gone, you can follow our sermons. It's not marketing. No, nobody's listening to our sermons around here from Nebraska and going, I'm moving to Houston. We, we offer the podcast so that you can follow along when you're gone. But let me tell you one of our fears. One of our fears is that you would use that podcast to justify being gone more than you should. That you would use it to justify traveling more than you should. And the justification goes like this. It's really not that big of a deal if I'm not there because I can just podcast and I can just stay up to date with us. But here's the problem. There's no communion table on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. There's no communion table on the internet. There's no meal where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, where we can come and cultivate remembrance in us on iTunes. To be clear, our hope is not that you would never travel. Our fear is that you you would use the podcast to justify excessive travel. And it's our fear because you can't podcast the communion table. Being a Passover people means we are a people who remember. It means we are a people who prioritize the meal where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We prioritize the meal with Jesus. But it also, having a Passover presence means that we offer what Passover offered, which is an unparalleled grace. It means that we were delivered by grace, and so we extend grace, which first means that we live from grace, not for grace. We live because we have it, not in order to earn it, but because we have it, we live to extend it to others, which it goes from this room to our street to our social media. 
It means that we have mountains of grace for one another as a church family. It means that we extend it on our streets. It means that we see that we live where we live because God has placed us near the neighbors he has placed us near. It means that we build relationships with our neighbors intentionally, and then we try to expose them to the church, the Christian community, and then together we share the gospel with them. And then it extends to our social media that we are not the angry, embittered, I'm on a rage rant people on social media. We are the loving and hopeful people who want to build a face-to-face relationship with you. We have said it a hundred times. We'll keep saying it again. Social media, great place to make a point, terrible place to make a difference. We are people who are loving and kind and hopeful and generous, not enraged. We are a gracious people who extend the grace that we have in Christ. God isn't boiling, raging with you. We don't boil and rage with everyone around us. We live as a community marked by grace, the kind of grace that we see at the heart of Passover where you have been delivered by God's grace. Having a Passover presence means we offer what Jesus offered us, grace. To be a people with a Passover presence means we, or to be a Passover people with a Passover presence means we strive to be the kind of people Passover creates, a holy and distinct people marked by grace. A grace that we have that we've received in Christ, our true Passover lamb, and a grace that we offer and extend to others. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your scriptures, that we can come together and we can sit under them. Thank you for the way that they can press down into our daily lives. Thank you for the way that they can lead us to Christ, our true Passover lamb. Thank you for the grace that we see in them and the grace that we can be marked by and shaped by. Father, would you cultivate in us a people, a community who are okay, who are okay being weird because we want to be holy and distinct and we don't want to give ourselves to the gods that are around us. Would you make us a gracious people, people gracious with one another, who wants to extend grace to our neighbors, and would that inform and shape everything about our lives? We pray this to the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. Amen.